Rip It Up and Start Again. How seven trailblazing Leguess Who artists reimagine their cultural and musical heritage. For 16 years and counting, Leguess Who has strived to create a space for generations of music lovers and makers to come together. A podium where icons of their trade not just pass the baton to those that carve out a new path, but where they engage on eye level. This year, the La Guess Who lineup once again boasts an array of young artists and newer acts that, all in their own way, recalibrate their musical and cultural heritage and create a whole new thing on top of it. Their contribution to the world of music may come in different forms, be it field recordings and experimental composition, intricate raps, club-ready Egyptian street sounds, or a celestial harp and bee. What they all share is an infallible sensibility for their roots and a clear vision for where they're headed. Take Nayokabi Kariuki, a sound artist who channels a biographical past she left behind at 18, by forging soundscapes and layered vocals into a future-facing aesthetic. In other words, she fully understands that time is nothing but a concept and memories, as well as momentous physical sensations and our reactions to them, dictate what comes next. Born and raised in Kenya, Kariuki has been on the go ever since leaving Africa to study composition in New York City. I graduated during the pandemic, so I didn't even consider the prospect that this kind of travelling could be part of the work I do, she says. This drastically changed with her first releases, especially Peace Places, Kenyan Memories, from 2022, a mediation of field recordings, synthesis and fleeting vocals, and Feeling Body, from 2023, a concept album about grappling with long Covid, have put her name on the map and taken her around the world. Honestly, a big part of it is following where the funding and the opportunities are, she adds, At the moment, Europe seems to be interested in my music and there appears to be a bit more infrastructure compared to the United States. Despite her academic training, Kariuki has developed an ambivalent relationship with the rigidity of the classical repertoire. She's played piano her whole life, but the struggle for near-athletic perfection in performance culture has left her with an almost antagonistic relationship with the instrument. Maybe antagonistic isn't the right word, she explains. But having to showcase the most complicated thing live in order to be impressive, I struggled with that. For me, music was always a feeling, like, oh, I love how this chord makes me feel, you know? Accordingly, there is lots of room for improvisation in Kariuki's live setup, which consists of various effect chains, machines and live vocals. On stage, she actively creates a space for herself to go in different directions a performance strategy she applies in her everyday life too. I'm going where the music is taking me. I'd not imagine what I've been able to do, but it's been really exciting. I want to go to Australia next, she says with an infectious laugh. Nayokabi Kariuki takes part in a panel on November the 10th and performs on November the 11th as part of the programme curated by Nala Sinifro. For three Faz, the anonymous producer behind some of the most dense and complex club sounds of late, incorporating his musical heritage into a new project took some getting used to. For a long time, any attempts to combine traditional Egyptian music with European club sounds felt tacky and cliché to him, especially because most of these projects were spearheaded by producers from outside of Egypt. 
I feel like the problems usually occur when someone who's not from the culture tries to use these elements. They don't really understand what it's about, he says. It started making more sense when people from Egypt themselves started working in this field, going in more club-orientated directions, but to reach this conclusion it took me many attempts and years of fighting against that feeling, until I gave in at some point. The Egyptian street sounds of Shabby and its electronic extension Maraganat, or Electro Shabby, have gained global popularity in the past decade. It's a scene which Threefaz often gets lumped in with, However, he stresses that he's very much an outsider to this particular world. I'm influenced by them, but I can't claim to be a part. That wouldn't be ethical to do. Many people outside of Egypt first took note of Electro Shabby in the wake of the Arab Spring Revolution in the early 2010s. Therefore, the genre as a whole came with political connotations. For club music artists like Threefaz, who describes his tracks as not political in any way, this sometimes led to frustrating questions from Western journalists, trying to pigeonhole every piece of art since 2010 as politically charged. You can tell that the man, who fellow Egyptian producer Zuli describes as in a league of his own, started with a clear idea of what he wanted and what to avoid. Although he makes clear that, just as his chosen anonymity, this too shouldn't be taken too seriously. Threefuzz is really me trying to work with musical elements from Cairo, Egypt, and combining that with my musical background, which is dubstep, drum and bass, techno, he says, and adds that even this foundation is prone to evolve with each record. My first album is heavily Egyptian in its sound, and the last one, there's still a lot of Egyptian references, but if you don't explicitly say so, maybe you wouldn't even notice. It is indeed striking how fans of different bass-heavy genres find familiar elements to latch onto in Threefaz's tracks. The overall results, however, are uniquely his own. Today, Threefaz describes the Egyptian underground as eclectic and growing, pointing towards artists like Zuli, Onadar El Shazli and labels like Moshtrek. Even though many of the more prominent members of the scene live elsewhere now, Cairo's left-field music circles are striving and internationally connected. For now, Three Faz enjoys taking his spin on Egyptian street music around the world, especially since he's managed to do it in a way that puts the spotlight purely on the art itself. Sticking with anonymity has been good. You know, my real identity isn't really known anyway, so even when I show up as myself, no one knows who I am. But the idea really was to keep the project isolated from any biographical connotations. It puts more focus on the actual work, the music. Three Faz performs on November the 11th as part of the programme curated by Hiba Kadri. Combining a sincere obsession with their cultural heritage with lots of humour is also the forte of Taiwanese brothers Mong Tong. The duo, who credit a mysterious entity only referred to by a symbol as their third member, has garnered accolades in the Taiwanese psychedelic scene and beyond when they started touring with legendary, and now defunct, Japanese outfit Kika Gaku Moyu. At the time of our conversation, the duo is still gleaming from a string of recent headliner gigs in Japan, and they're off to Australia three days later. It's tempting to describe their approach, jamming on different instruments, piling up layers upon layers of sound, and then editing the results almost as sample fodder, with bygone terms such as postmodern. Their ironic yet always respectful take on Taiwanese traditions and mysticism stresses that impression. One of the brothers, 
Hom Yu, runs an Instagram account devoted to the cover art of old Taiwanese esoteric books. To him, the account and the music of Mongtong follow a similar idea. We're trying to take all this old, almost forgotten art and find new ways to make it public. Both members of Mongtong have played in bands covering multiple genres, but their love of music started heavily inspired by shoegaze and different Western forms of pop and rock. On the shoulders of the psychedelic trajectory, Taiwan has developed a unique local genre called Mihoan, which Mongtong feel most connected to. Other bands in that vein include Cold Dew, Scattered Purgatory, Prairie, of which Hom Yu is a member, and Dope Purple, which features Chi on guitar. With Mongtong, we're trying to make traditional music in a modern way, using modern technology, says Hom Yu. This may sound rather straightforward, but the results are a kaleidoscope of chaos and unlike anything out there. Listening to Mongtong's debut, Mystery, and their follow-up, Tao Fire, means entering a tropical fever dream of ancient astronautics, occultism, playful vocal samples and walls of percussion and vintage keys, a sound as disorientating as it is addictive. In other words, Mongtong make highly conceptual music by following a surprisingly simple credo. You can literally make anything you like into art, right? Do it and don't take yourself so seriously. Also, they would advise everyone to come and check out Taper. Montong perform on November the 12th. When it comes to producing prodigies who are wise beyond their years, hip-hop has an unmatched track record. Nas famously was 19 when his debut album, Illmatic, dropped. Mob Deep's prodigy rapped, I'm only 19 but my mind is old, on Shook Ones Part 2. By the time of his debut mixtape, Earl Sweatshirt was 16. One of Earl's contemporaries and collaborators, New York MC Mike, fits right into this legacy. Aged only 24, his demeanour, voice, rhyme, technique and release schedule are that of a veteran. Most recently, Mike made waves with a guest verse on Sentry by Earl Sweatshirt, an alchemist. The track is the only readily available single of one of the most rumoured indie rap releases ever, and Mike more than holds his own next to his friend and mentor Earl. If you need more proof that Mike's approach perfectly bridges the gap between legends young and old, revisit Stop Worry, the third single of his latest solo album, Beware of the Monkey, for which he shared the mic with dancehall pioneer Sister Nancy. Born in New Jersey, but raised partly in England, Mike's love of music blossomed under the influence of UK rap and grime. He moved back to the States as a teenager and spent his formative years in Philadelphia and the Bronx. He first started releasing music at 19, but his career really took off two years later when he became a founding member of the Collective Slums. His breakout mixtape, Winter in New York, set in motion a series of acclaimed mostly self-released albums, which made him one of the most promising East Coast acts. Mike's introverted yet powerful lyricism and soulful music make for a must-see show, not just for hardcore rap fans. As long as you remember that, just like his idol, the late MF Doom, it's all caps when you spell the man's name. Mike performs on November the 10th as part of the programme curated by Slauson Malone 1. Detroit's own Ahaya Simone is the proverbial Renaissance woman. 
The classically trained vocalist, harpist and songwriter not only works with some of the most trusted names in left-field pop and performance art, but she's also the co-creator and star of Femme Black Queens, a web comedy series by and about three black trans women in Detroit. Born and raised in the 313, Simone first found her voice singing in church. The Baptist church, the black church, is not only a place of fellowship and worship of God, she explains. It's also a place of skill development. It shaped my approach to music and shaped my philosophy around performance and approach to art making. The harp came to her later, in her freshman year in high school, a time in which she also started to embrace her femininity in new ways. Behind Ahaya, in the Zoom window, stands a beautiful electroacoustic harp. That's my new baby, says Simone, and laughs. Her name is Oceana. This is a custom colour. In college, she first tried to focus both on harp and singing, but the demands of the instrument prevented her from pursuing both. Also, this was around the time that I started living my truth and becoming more of who I am, so I stopped singing for a while during those college years. But if you're a singer, the song never leaves you. You carry your voice with your body everywhere you go. Knowing that she wouldn't want to work in an orchestra pit and play classical music for a living, Simone started seeking out new avenues. Around that time, she deepened her knowledge about jazz harpists like Dorothy Ashby and Alice Coltrane, but also about the work of contemporaries like Brandy Younger. What did they do? How did they get to know what they knew? And then I realised I still had a desire to sing. In the mid-2010s, Simone started touring with some of her favourite artists, such as Juliana Huxtable on her triptych performance art piece, and with director Dream Hampton on a score for a short film about the murder of a trans woman in Detroit. Shortly after Kalila tapped her to remix one of her songs, this intersection of nightlife and art spaces, film and performance art, has become where she's most comfortable in her artistic expression. But it's not all commissioned work and harp sessions for a higher Simone. To make the harp sing, you have to sing, says Simone. Frostbite, her debut single under her own name, is testament to the fact that she very much got her voice back. It's a powerfully sung, harp-driven R&B tune and further proof that Simone really has a plethora of directions to excel in. Ahaya Simone performs on November the 10th as part of the programme curated by Slauson Malone One. When asked for a quick rundown of her musical socialisation, Melbourne's YL Hui offers a whole rollercoaster ride of pop epiphanies. Fighting with her parents to play the French horn over the trumpet, Spice Girls, lip-syncing to NWA's Fuck the Police, Top 40 Radio and a specific drum rhythm that her mother used to hum. Also Drake, GZA, Rihanna, Bad Brains, Pansonic, and rediscovering electronic music in London at 19 years old. Her most formative brush with the experimental underground came even earlier. At 16, she got to interview transgressive Michigan legends and fellow La Guess Who 2023 performers Wolf Eyes for her community radio show. I was coming in completely unprepared and eventually asked them to make an acrostic poem using the letters in Wolf Eyes, only to see myself as a meme 10 years later on their Instagram. I hope they read this. 
As wild as this mix may read, it all makes perfect sense when listening to Y.L. Huey's debut Untitled. The album, which was first released on tape in 2019 and pressed on wax two years later, combines an unfazed post-punk cool with the hypnotic production techniques of dub and cosmish music. Valya Yingli Hui is the core person behind YL Hui, although she stresses that the project really is a collaboration between her and Tarquin Manek, aka Silzadrek. A mainstay of Melbourne's underground, Manek is a producer and instrumentalist affiliated with HTRK, Carla Del Forna, and the blackest ever black label. I think with my Chinese-Russian heritage and Tarquin's Roma heritage, and us both growing up in Australia, there's a mix of culture within the project in general, says Huey about the collaboration. We'd both like to explore more of our own ancestry going forward. Between myself and Tarquin, I think we've got a lot of scope to enter spaces that allow for anything to happen. While Huey performs on November 11th as part of the Cosmos Live programme. London-based composer, multi-instrumentalist and performer Damsel Elysium is an outlier, even in this list of artists. It wasn't really my intent to be a musician, they explain. I was just running on impulsive excitement and following what my ear liked. I was thinking about sound and texture and tone rather than melody, even though now I see them as one and the same. Just like Naokabi Kariuki, an artist they cite as a kindred spirit, Damsel Elysium is classically trained, but struggled under the pressure that classical institutions are built on. Swapping the violin for a camera, they went on to study film, only to realise how much they missed making music. After reviving their relationship with the violin, they picked up a double bass and further explored ways of using classical instruments to create sounds and textures that defy the strict logic of Western classical training. In a similar fashion, they understand their practice as an exercise in decolonising music, which is not only a vast field, but also a highly personal one. At the moment I've been thinking about notation and how it's used as a parameter for being a good musician – I never really took well to reading music, although I can, it's just never made great sense in my head. So during my rediscovery of music, and thinking about how I could decolonise my own music practice, I became anti-score, only working by ear and improvising, freeform writing, no time signatures, no bar lines, no metrics. Decolonisation, they add, is not just about issues of race and gender, but about neurodiversity as well. I want other performance-adjacent people to understand that there isn't one set rule for making music. Question absolutely everything you know about performance. Their radicality and knack for experimentation made them an in-demand collaborator, whether it's performing in a church alongside FKA Twigs or taking over Southbank Centre with the London Contemporary Orchestra. The performance space itself plays an important part as well, Spaces are intrinsic to my process, they say. They are so much a part of the story and sound world as the instruments on stage. I like to interact with the natural acoustics of a space, push it, pull it and see what the space gives back. And it doesn't stop at sound. Known for putting great emphasis on the visual aspect of a performance, Damsel Elysium aims to complement the given architecture, colours, energy, as well as the audience. 
This is why I love old historic buildings, churches and open spaces, because the quirks or degradation of age can shape everything. Interaction with people, spaces and different methods of creating art may be essential for their practice. But asked about their affiliation to any scene or musical heritage, Damsel Elysium maintains a radical, exploratory stance. I feel like Damsel Elysium is about creating a new one that doesn't yet exist. And further, unless it involves seeking pleasure from the sounds of passing trains, I'm not quite sure what local music heritage looks like. Finding pleasures from the sounds of passing trains, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more specific, yet universally applicable sentiment. Damsel Elysium performs on November the 11th at La Guess Who 2023.